This is exactly right. Hi, I'm Erin Welsh. And I'm Erin Almond Updike, and we're the hosts of This Podcast Will Kill You on Exactly Right. We're back with our seventh season, which is bigger and better than ever. Because guess what? We're now a weekly show. This season, we're tackling everything from long COVID to norovirus, from the supplement industry to IVF, and so, so much more. New episodes drop every single Tuesday. Follow This Podcast Will Kill You wherever you get your podcasts. Beeping? Can I? Should I go tell the beeping to stop? You don't hear that. There's no beeping, George. <laughs> <laughs> and we've started. And breakdown. And Georgia hears beeping. Do you hear that uh, sound of a baby crying? <laughs> this is not an ad for <laughs> for a new beeper for a new brain. We're bringing back beepers. Beepers. Are you a doctor or a drug dealer? Or do you play one on TV? Then you need a beeper. <laughs> or are you having an affair and you need a way for your affair person to contact you? What was the affair? What was the thing of like some kind of a 411 but for hookups? No. Yeah. It was like. I didn't do. I guess I didn't hook up when I had a beeper. Oh, I did all the time. No. When I was an emergency room intern? No. Never. <laughs> oh. Um, of course not. <laughs> You're serious. I'm super Wait. blackout drunk in a bar and then I hold up my beeper. Guys, I've got to go. Yeah. My it's sugar daddy's calling me. One of my. Uh, hey, welcome to my favorite murder. Hi. Welcome to my favorite murder. That's Georgia Hardstar. That's Karen Kilgariff. We're here to read to you uh, and tell to you uh, true crime stories from all around the nation and world. And more. And then some. And then more. And then after that, half a teaspoon more. <laughs> It's the morning. We've never oh recorded God. in the morning. This before. is so weird. I had to stay at work late last night. Everybody got to adjust to my needs. <laughs> so we were supposed to record last night. I called and said, I'm still at work. Then Georgia, you've actually been into this idea for a while. I feel like yeah. you've been very morning positive for about, right? It just feels fun and fresh and like different. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like recording in a different place. It feels like a field trip without going anywhere. Yes. Um, School is new again for us. Yeah. And now I can really learn. And it lets me drink whiskey in the morning. Finally. Because I can't do this podcast without whiskey. That's (laughs) That's not not true. true. That's not true. But let me just, I just need to put this out here. If you or any of your friends are drinking whiskey in the morning, that was uh, the end stage for me right before I was hospitalized. What time? I know you're joking. (laughs) What time? (laughs) (laughs) I meant that. I was legitimately like, curious. It's after eleven thirty, you're in the clear. Yeah, I always am. Like, can I? No. If it's not on a weekend and it's not brunch, although this is like, well, what's weird is that this is going to come out later today. So everyone listening on Thursday, this is this morning. Are you fucking? Oh yeah, same day. Yeah, same first time, same day. This is the freshest recording we've ever. Not your fault. I was out of town on Tuesday and Monday, so we couldn't record like we usually do. Oh, thank. You. That's Georgia. That no, means I, a lot to me. That you I wouldn't put that. it on you at all. Because, <laughs> yeah, that's very nice of you to mention. Um, 
Uh, I didn't even realize that. George's, how was that trip, by the way? Tell the people what you were doing. I fucking had this crazy experience. Oxygen uh, had, they were going to have us, instead it was just me available. And I was like, fuck yeah. Hell yeah. Um, Oxygen is turning into True Crime Network. This is not a plug. They didn't pay me to do this or anything <laughs> like that. She's just trying to tell her story. I really had an incredible time. They So they have this like special called... Um, uh, the jury speaks. The jury. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> I'm your stage early. mother. <laughs> I'm really early and I've only had uh, bullet coffee. You've only drink. had two shots of whiskey. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so far. So the jury speaks. And so I did this panel for, for press where I interviewed four of the jury members who were on these like high profile cases where they were really fucking um, controversial mm-hmm. and like ru- kind of ruined these jurors lives for a while because instead of blaming the justice system that let, you know, George Zimmerman go, they blamed the juries for voting the way that they were told to vote, which is if you have reasonable doubt. And then it asked the question, like, if you, with everything you know now, would you vote differently? And these people were so, they were just normal people who were very affected by these trials, by what happened to them afterwards. How could you not be? This one woman who was on the George Zimmerman trial was just such a, she just was so emotionally raw and wonderful. And I really, really, she really touched me. So it sounds like it's going to be a good show. I would love to watch that. I watched it. It's, I, you know, you're like, I'm so sick of the OJ Simpson trial. I've seen every fucking thing about it. Well, this is from the jury's perspective. It's all interesting. Which you've never seen anything of. And they explain why they voted the way they voted, which everyone's like, you fucking fuck you. You know, it's the Michael Jackson case. It's really good. I feel like people were fuck you in the 90s. And now, especially because of those two things that came out recently. Yeah. Everyone's like, oh, yeah, I get it. I'm starting to get it as like a white American. I'm starting to understand what all the things I didn't know. Yeah. And never opened my eyes to before were about. Yeah. And how unfair it is. Yeah. Yeah. It was really, really interesting. So that's what I was. That's great. And it was fun. I bet. Yeah. Did you get your hair did? I got my nails and toes did. Oh, but like, what about, were you in that makeup chair? I'm saying that's my no. favorite part of anything. No, for this, I, I, it wasn't, it wasn't recorded, unfortunately, because I, the first time in my life, um, headed the uh, panel. Oh, it was like a live panel. It was a panel for press. And Got so there it. was like 50, 60 people in the room that were okay. press. And I was like, so when you got sequestered and asking, and then the, the person who made the, um, show is Nancy Glass, who I remember was the, um, Inside Edition, blonde woman. Nancy Glass. Yeah. yeah. And she's a fucking badass. And she was on the panel and she's just been, she's won Emmys. She's just an incredible broadcaster. So it's so weird to be sitting there interviewing her. Wow. And I'm like, cool. you should be. She was incredible. And so she made it. So it's just, a, it's great. That's so cool. Yeah. I had a really good time. Does I, that mean she picked you to be the, uh, the person? I don't know. I don't think so, but she pretended to know who I am. And that was, <laughs> I was honored. I took a photo with her. It That's was just really exciting. Great. Yeah. She's just this longtime true crime investigative journalism, journalist host. And it was just, I was honored to That's be there. Awesome. Thank you. First class? First class on the way there. Oh, shit. Girl. On my dime. I didn't, they didn't. Yeah. I love it. 
How about you? Who, me? Oh, I'm just sitting in a office uh, for 11 hours a day oh. talking about what uh, fictional characters may or may not do in their <laughs> lives and why and if it could be symbolic or any meaningful in any way to other people. And it's just conversation after conversation. And by the time I leave, I don't want to speak or look <laughs> at anybody else. Um, I've eaten... Uh-huh. So much Trader Joe's snack food. Mm. Um, yeah, I, I have it really rough. But first class? <laughs> first class all the way, baby. <laughs> um, the one thing I did want to mention, and we've gotten tons of tweets about, is the fact that they ID'd um, a, an unknown victim of John Wayne Gacy. Totally. Cook County uh, Sheriff just made this announcement. And of course, we got 1,000 tweets mm-hmm. about it, which I love. The funniest thing is now all the tweets are, did you already get this? Yeah. And it's or like, I know you already saw this, but just in case. <laughs> which just is sweet. Case. Thank you, mommy. Yeah. Um, so just really quick, if you haven't read any of the articles, which you probably have. And haven't. they came out today. So I'm glad we're recording today. Yeah. Uh, so they said, so there's eight unidentified victims. Mm-hmm. And at the time, um, when they found these bodies, it was 1976. Uh, no, sorry. It was 1978 that they found the bodies. I believe, right? Yeah. I don't have the 78 year. or 79. Yeah. Um, but, uh, so eight were unidentified and they couldn't do anything about it because they didn't, they of course obviously didn't have the forensics that we have today. And, they kept jawbones. I know. But they, so that if people came forward with dental records. So, so creepy. Yeah. But so back then, like, it was, dental wasn't a thing that it is today, which is like, you take your kids immediately. You, so not everyone had dental records back then. That's exactly right. And that's, so this identified victim, Jimmy Hawkinson, he was 16 years old when he was murdered by John Wayne Gacy. Oh, baby. And his mother actually went to Chicago in 1979 to try to find out if her, missing son was one of the victims mm. but because she didn't have dental records they couldn't tell her anything they there had no way of knowing anything but they've continued uh to test these these um the you know Unidentified evidence remains. Yeah, yeah the remains that they have and the cool thing is so it's 39 years later and hawkinson's nephew sees that they're still testing remains so he encourages his um i believe it was his aunt and his father to go give the DNA so they could test it. And you know, immediately he's a fucking murderino. If he's just like, I'm going to track my uncle down. Well, wouldn't you be so fascinated yes. if you had a missing uncle who suspect was suspected to have been at, at 16? Yeah. You and I would be, I think most people listening would be like, I'm going to track this down. But some people would be like, this is too hard for my family that they don't want to talk about it. Yeah. It's, and it's also when it's just a missing child, that's yeah. just like, that's, I mean, it's, so sad. They just no answer. You, you just almost don't do know. you want the answer? Cause then it's like, it's, it's a period on the sentence that like maybe he'll walk through the door someday or maybe, you know, yeah. not really wanting to know that it's over and that this monster John Wayne Gacy is the reason. And like his mom let him move to Chicago to like start a new life. And then they said, right, that he called her on the August 5th. I just read it this morning. Yeah. Um, when he got there. When he got there. And they think maybe the same day he got captured, right? Uh, well, that was all I read was that was the last she ever heard of him. So oh. it was like very soon after. So sad. I love the way that he really underlined the fact that his family loved him. Mm. His family had been searching for him. This was not, you know, it's that thing they always do. 
uh, not always do, but sometimes do the story with victims, which is the hitch, you know, the, the hitchhiker who didn't care about their life, the, right. the runaway who it doesn't matter what happened to them anyway, the yeah. sex worker who, I mean, who really cares is just another victim or it's like, he really was underlining. This is a family who missed their child, yeah. their 16 year old boy for 39 years. Yeah. I hope I didn't sound like when I said that they didn't want to know that I don't know if that's true or not, but no, you're just saying that's a possibility for because some people probably then the grief then you have to like then that's a whole new grieving process and you've learned how to compartmentalize this anyways i don't know i've never who knows? Yeah, i've never just, lost a, someone like that so yeah who knows i'm just speculating yeah that's how this show is this this podcast is speculation it's speculation i like to lie out <laughs> what, um, what was the quote or the like saying you call it uh or someone called it but the vague postulating? That's vague postulating. Something like serious vague postulating. That's yeah. What, that's what I'm all yeah. about. We're just talking about Sincere it. Sincere vague postulating. <laughs> Something. Um, well, that's fucked up and I'm glad. And then the creepiest part to me was that they they could tell um, when it happened based on this like stacking of the bodies. Oh, right. Like what number victim he was. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry. Can you hold on one second? There's somebody they're trying to break in or clean. Probably clean. But why would they... Or the kitten's doing something, which I don't think she is. Sounds like cleaning. Why would they, I don't think they do that. Ever? No. Look at that fucking disgusting how, Why window. would you... Yeah, but how do you get up there? Maybe he, maybe there's something going up the side of the building. All right. Well, keep, keep, this in, keep this in because someone's trying to break into my fucking house right now. I don't see anybody. Okay, they left. They, they gave up. <laughs> And then you're smashed. It turns out it was a hummingbird. <laughs> Crashed into the window. <laughs> that hummingbird's trying to kill me. That's oh. where my brain goes to immediately. Uh, yeah, so they stacked the bodies, and that's, he stacked them by, like, when he got them, he just, like, buried them on top of each other so they could be, like, he died at this time or this year because the, we know the body underneath him went away, like, disappeared on this day, and the one on top of him disappeared on this day, so... Yeah. They can get... It's not creepy. What it's is, the visual so of that makes me so sad for these kids. The visual of that is what, like, sparked... Right. ...my... What the hell is going on in this actual world? That's exactly it. Yeah. With the bearing of the bodies. You it was saw the... Diagram. Drawing a diagram <gasps> of where the bodies were buried in the house, and to me... To my child's mind, I thought he'd buried them in the walls. Yeah. It didn't make sense to me that it was underneath. So I was just like, because I knew my parents were telling me stuff. Yeah. Because my parents would always be like, we'll tell you later. We'll tell you when you're Ugh, older. Which nothing makes you want to know more. I, I mean. Then they tell you that. For real. And so that was one of the ones. Anyway, it's it, it makes me happy that they're still working the way they are. Yeah. Uh, for this. that There's something to about that that's very uh, heartening to me. Can we go back to, you never gave me an answer, what time drinking whiskey <laughs> means you're about to Karen out and have to go to the hospital? <laughs> Let's not call it Karen. I'm sorry. <laughs> Steven, take that out. No, you don't. Um, you know what it is? It's not time of day. It's that you think oh, you need it. Why? And and you think it's okay. When it's not a choice. Because Ooh. it moves to a point where it's not a choice anymore. Mm -hmm. Especially when you're... At that point, I was only drinking whiskey. Only. Mm -hmm. So my friends, would we'd meet at a bar. People would get a round of beers. I would have a shot of Jameson's. I would be done before everybody, of course. Mm -hmm. Mine was smaller. And then I would keep oh. on having shots of whiskey until I was trying to kick the bouncer in the shins for no reason. <laughs> Party... <gasps> Central. Party Karen. P 
party times. <laughs> Anyways. All right. So, anyway, so 11 o'clock. At that, <laughs> right around 11.15. If at that point I remember taking a bottle of Jameson's off mm. the top of my refrigerator, the second I woke up in the morning, like it was coffee. <gasps> and as I drank it, like just took a swig of it thinking this is very bad. Oh, you knew then... Yeah. But you were like, well, I'll stop soon. I'll stop doing this. But today is not the day. No, I knew, no, you know what it was? I knew it was bad and I knew I should stop, but mm-hmm. I also knew I could not stop. I knew oh, that. How scary. It was horrible. I'm sorry. I, thank you. Congratulations. <laughs> Cause you fucking did it and you did it well and I you did didn't, it. you did. I'm so impressed that you did that. Thank you. As someone who drinks, uh, I mean, look, I highly recommend seizures. They're very, <laughs> they are upsetting. They're mysterious. I tried one at like 12. I gave Did it you? a shot at 12. It wasn't for me. No, I mean, Moved they're on. not for everybody. Yeah. No, I really had a seizure at 12. For what? Uh, I don't know. My brother, yeah, I think so. My brother and I have both had one seizure like around that age and then never again. It might have been your brain growth spurt because kids have them when they're seven. Mm-hmm. They have right. them when they're babies if they have fevers. Sometimes. Yeah. Sometimes when you're seven, sometimes when you're 14. Every seven years when your brain grows. They and say. like a hormone release. And I had been work, like playing soccer all day. Probably was dehydrated. Mm-hmm. And I had it in my, this isn't interesting. I had it in my sleep, which isn't supposed to actually be a seizure. No, but no, did no that's, I tell that's you, when I have all mine. Oh, right. That's right. They are seizures. Did I tell you I was sharing, a, this is how young I, I was sharing a bunk bed with my sister. I started shaking. Thank God we shared a room at the time. She ran into my mom's room and said, we were really into the Simpsons at the time. And she said, mom, George is having a cow. Uh, <laughs> I was probably younger. I was probably like Your mom's 10. like, what the fuck? Yeah. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> and I missed my whole ride in the ambulance. I'm so pumped about that. Oh, because you were out? Yeah. It's not that great. It's kind of weird. Okay. Um, it's not like fun. <laughs> <laughs> like you'd think. It's uh, not as fun as you think. Stephen okay. Ray Morris uh, keeps giving us presents. <gasps> we oh, get, no. We get him nothing. I You just pulled that out of the envelope a little bit and I see VHS. You see VHS. This must have cost Stephen. Uh, <laughs> send us an invoice. <laughs> Here you go. It's your story. Here you go. Oh, Read shit. it to everyone. Echoes in the dark. Joseph Wambaugh's Echoes in the Darkness, everybody. This is the story. A fucking video cassette he tracked down. It's Peter Coyote, Robert Loggia, Stockard Channing telling the story of w- William Bradfield Patches, mm-hmm. we called him. Dr. Principal, J. Smith. Principal. What was his name? I don't Just remember. The principal. The principal. And then Patches. Missing children with the fucking little statue in the forest. Steven. Oh, guys. A plus. It's such a cool VHS. Like it, like it's a, it's such a VHS that I remember from my childhood. I mean, it's in perfect condition. Somebody really held onto that tight. Somebody really, (laughs) somebody dusted their VHS shelf every day. What makes me sad is like what happened to them that they, we were able to get this if they saved it that long. Either they died and their parents or their siblings (laughs) were like, sell it on eBay, sell all of dad's VHSs. Oh, can I go fucking dark all the time? Can I ever go positive? (laughs) Because now let's do the therapy. Now there are four other choices that can be happening here. Holding our holding <laughs> our hand up with five fingers. Every time you think of something that's upsetting that you think is the truth, the fuck somebody's is- something's working on the side of your house. Okay, that sounded like a weird fart, <laughs> didn't it? <laughs> no, it sounded like a, a, a noisemaker. <laughs> a when New Year's Eve. Sh- yeah. Okay, so you hold up. Okay, everyone, this is the rule of six. Rule of five. Okay. No, the rule of six. Sorry. Okay, so number one is the negative thought. 
So you're like... Someone died and that's why we have the VHS. Someone died. It's the only reason we have a VHS. Yeah, which I kind of enjoy postulating that way. Well, worst case. You always get, okay. explore the worst case. Yeah. So then the five is like, maybe they had a wonderful life with a wonderful family. Maybe they're not actually dead. Maybe they were happy to let this move on to someone else. Steven, tell us the background of you buying this. Did someone send it to you or was like... Oh, no. I just found it on eBay. But the the... The the person sent a letter. Oh my god! Handwritten. So they're still alive. And it says, "Dear customer, please know I upgraded in bold at my cost. Your VHS ordered a first class mail <laughs> because I consider you a first class customer." Oh, congratulations! Media mail I consider too slow. I also mailed it in a padded mailer with free delivery confirmation. I hope you have earned. Wow. I hope I have earned your five star feedback. You have, and <laughs> yes. If not, please message me on how to improve. Oh. Thanking you, Karen with an I. Yes. Oh my God, Karen. Karen, great job, Karen. Um, speaking of great job, and this is a, a present that's not from me. And then I want to read the letter because it, it, this is from a murderino. The letter made me cry. Nice. But it's really self-serving because it's because of something I said on of the course. podcast. Sure. Is that okay? I feel like that's, that's, this is podcast. Okay. So, da 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 da, Karen Dorja Stevens, sis- sisters and I are a huge fan, uh, sending you a thing, but I uh, never expected you, but I wanted to share with you a very personal way in which you, your approach to the podcast inspired and motivated me. Can I just say one thing? What? If you're going to read a letter that's like slightly self-congratulatory, you can't skip through the beginning of their part. <laughs> but it's long. <laughs> da da da, you love me. Da da da. No. Okay. Well, I'll read it. No, 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 no. Okay. Kidding. Well, I was going to read the rest. So, um, yeah. it, it does look long, actually. Uh, in an earlyish episode, Georgia was making a t-shirt corner update. Karen mentioned how impressed she was. See, this is so dick by Georgia's tenacity and follow through and actually making the shirts a reality. And cause remember, I was like, you don't have to be perfect. Just fucking do things. Yes. Uh, which is my motto in life. That's right. <laughs> um, Georgia went to express how she just doesn't let the fear of messing up or not being perfect hold her back. She continued to explain the theory that people who make a quality work often don't even start, much less finish making things because they're so hung up on being on perfection and fear of failing. Uh, it was a light bulb moment. This described me. I went to school for design, currently work in the design industry, yet have been terrified of creating personal passion projects for fear that they wouldn't turn out, quote, perfect. Gumption and willingness to start t-shirts on this podcast, despite things not always being perfect, no shit, was <laughs> so encouraging to me. Um, with the mindset of fuck perfection, I successfully created a little bit of jewelry for you guys and all the other murderinos out there um, who want one. Inside the tiny envelopes, I'm passing them to you. And Stephen, you get one too, even though it's weird. Um, You will find a solid 14 karat gold murderino (gasps) script necklaces. My first foray into making jewelry. I drew the script, figured out how to 3D print said script for a mold, found a casting place, made prototypes, then lovingly put each one together by hand. They were all designed and made in New York City. Um, you guys get the first three because you inspired the whole thing. And I want to say thank you. I had a blast. Taylor. So I'm really proud I made them. Thank you all for pursuing what you love and for being authentic and hilarious team. My sisters and I wish you all the best happiness and success. Stephanie of the Sisters Gamble. The and Sisters Gamble. You can get it. It's Etsy, the Sisters Gamble, G-A-M-B-L-E. P.S. Stephen, I don't know if you're into necklaces, but I know you could rock it alongside the stash. Hell yeah. Yeah. Hell yeah. Steven, you you will look so 1975. Oh, because it's gold. I mean, I do have chest hair. You have a lot of chest hair. (laughs) Live, love, laugh. Listen, shave your chest hair into a mustache. Yes. Do it. Those are beautiful. beautiful. That's really lovely. And that makes me really happy because that's so true. Yeah. Just fucking do what you want to do. You'll improve later. It made me really really tear up and proud of us. Yeah. Not just because I... Of us. We... 
we uh we said fuck it and yeah did it it's funny those ideas that seem kind of simple for me they're like just ted talks that i've watched it's like if you go on to the brene brown mm-hmm. vulnerability ted talk watch that and then there's gonna be a bunch of other ones that are like perfection ruining shit ruining creativity this that and the other thing you can like there's a whole philosophy of life that you can discover oh i love that yeah well that made me so thank you stephanie thanks um we got to cut let's see my aunt turned actually turned Richard Speck into the police. Maybe we can save these for um, hometowns. I work with Tris, Trisha Melee. Oh, wait, wait, that person's aunt tr- turned Richard Speck into the police. I wonder if it's the, the girl that, he, that went to high school with him that saw him in the um, town and country center, that weird Magazine. fucking mall in Sacramento. Richard Speck was the one who killed all the nurses in the... Oh, shit. Right? Sorry, I was thinking Richard Chase. Oh, is that right? Oh, Richard Chase was the creepy Sacramento. Chase dude. was the Sacramento vamp, the vampire, and you're that's Richard Speck. Yeah, we should. Okay, this is Georgia, Karen, Stephen, Mimi, and Elvis. But we should also give a shout out to um, the person who made you that cross stitch of the dogs. Oh, that's right. Um, <laughs> and I want to say right now that Elvis is at the doctor's because we have a new kitten named Dottie. And she got Elvis sick, and I love this new kitten very much, but if she kills Elvis, I'm going to fucking lose my How mind. How old is Elvis, Georgia? He's about to be 13. He's going to be okay. Okay. Uh, I, hope my, I hope my subject line grabbed your attention. You guys are the best and make my hour-long Chicago commute so much more bearable. I've gotten countless friends and family members hooked into listening by telling them the Mary Vincent and Sarah Brady stories. But anyway, on to my aunt's story. Uh, my aunt is Kathy O'Connor, and she was a nurse at Cook County Hospital in 1966. She always talked about this case when I was younger, but I never realized how much of a connection she actually had. I started reading the book, The Crime of the Century, which is about the Richard Specht murders. And he killed, what, a bunch of nurses in that nurse. He went into the nurse's, like, dorm. dorm and, yeah, and one woman survived by hiding. And in the chapter where they talk about him trying to kill himself and then getting admitted to the hospital, I see my aunt's name. Once I saw her name, I immediately went to talk to her, and she she told me the real scoop. She was the nurse that treated him when he came to the ER that night. In every report you're going to see, it says that Leroy Smith was the one who saw his tattoo and alerted the police. But after talking with my aunt this week, it was actually her that notified that noticed the tattoo on his wrist from a picture in the newspaper. She then told Leroy and he alerted the police. Uh, yeah, bitch. Yep. And since this was 1966 and my aunt is a woman, she didn't get any of the credit. Down with the patriarchy. Am I right? <laughs> <laughs> now you guys know the real story. All in all, it's fine because Speck was captured and was sentenced to life in prison, but it's still a pretty crazy story and connection. Thank you guys for this amazing podcast. It's honestly made me more just, I'm just like congratulating myself this whole time. <laughs> it's honestly made me more aware as a person when I'm out alone. Next time you guys are in Chicago, hit me up and we can do a ghost tour or you can talk to my badass aunt much love stay sexy don't get murdered mary Kay. everyone in chicago wants to give us a ghost tour i love it it must be a thing well because they have h.h Holmes. they right. have so many mobs like stuff. the mobs all that al capone all right. stuff okay well listen we're gonna read some others that we got um the, that's what the hometown murder episodes or the minisodes basically are for those of you who don't listen so yeah clearly you yeah missing. we have to do we have so much ketchup email yeah. but i don't i feel like we don't have time yeah because we um <clears throat> we also i think maybe we should do we should do it next week too we have to talk about the r kelly sex cult absolutely it's crazy because i read the buzz the buzzfeed article this morning mm-hmm. It's so much. It, there's so much detail. Like, it'll take us. Let's talk about it next week. Okay. I have, like, a list of things I've been meaning to talk about. But um, but yeah, that one wait. is especially interesting because what really freaked me out is R. Kelly 
is touring. He is, even though he was, he, so he was acquitted for, uh, 14 counts of child porn. He married Aaliyah when she was 14 and he was like 20 something, 30 something. And then, uh, there was a song called Age is Just a Number. Yeah. Which, which is, is like, no, that's not true. <clears throat> but also when you start reading these accounts and the way he's keeping and controlling these women, uh, it's unbelievable. And he's just, and he's like on Fallon and he's like, yeah. you know, why he's are we being in someone's funny video or whatever? Why but are I think we still it's, okay with these people. Chris Brown, I want to, I know it's dated, but I want to call that motherfucker out. Why does he still have a career after beating the shit out of Rihanna? Rihanna. It's because when you make people money, the people who get paid because of being, making that money figure out a way to make it okay. Yeah. And that's what so much of show business is. And, and because people haven't had a voice before and what a lot of like, there was a reporter at a really tragic quote that was like, this story proves that young black women do not matter to people mm. in this country, mm-hmm. um, which is really true. And it's a thing that, you know, we come up against all the time when you're in talking about true crime, mm-hmm. this issue of, of the, the race of the victim and how that story gets treated mm-hmm. is a huge problem. Yeah. And we're learning as we go. But it is, it's nothing that we, you know, like we're just doing our best. Right. But it is, it's a, it's a problem on this level. It's a problem, obviously, in the regular media. It's how we, the story gets presented where you go, well, this thing happened, but it's okay. And then everyone goes, great. It's okay. Yeah. You don't, you don't question your immediate thinking, your immediate snap judgment, which I think is what we need to start paying attention to. Like, what's my snap judgment? Yeah. And then questioning that. Yes. Cause that's what's my how, internal bias. Yeah. That's why you, you're not ignorant is you think for yourself and, and, and try to keep on thinking. Yeah. And not shut down, not fight, not fucking <clears throat> absorb or what is it called? Take on whatever is being fucking screamed at you. Yeah. Just like swallow, swallow whatever it. the story on CNN is or yeah. whatever, but like actually try to. Whatever. Anyways, uh, we're all doing our best. <laughs> um, should we get to the murder? Yeah, I think we should. Okay. Uh, there's now a Twitter account that keeps track of no. who went first. No. I swear to God, it made, the first time I saw it, it made me laugh. Did you make it, Stephen? No. <laughs> <laughs> Stephen's like, I'm busy with so much of your other bullshit that you guys make me do. But I did use it to look up. <laughs> Nice. Well, we're hiring them instead of you now. Oh, that's cruel. Who is it? Me? Uh, Yeah, it's you. Okay. I go first. So, as we all know, when I'm working and I'm in the midst and in the mix, and I have uh, don't have a ton of time to do my homework, what do I do? I like to retell you my favorite I Survived episode. That's great. Okay, good. Thank God. (laughs) (laughs) No, can we stop for a minute? Karen, (laughs) I'm going to need you. Go outside. Um, (laughs) Take notes. Steven, uh, here's what's amazing to me. So this one I remembered, and we've actually talked about it very lightly Mm -hmm. before. Um, But it's one of my favorites. And when I went to rewatch it, so I could just base, I'm all the information is from this, uh, this woman who's, it's her story. I'm taking it directly from the I survived episode. This is basically like, if you're driving, I'm telling you and I survived right. so you don't have to watch it. Cause it's exactly what I'm, what everything I'm talking about. I got from the show. I, survived. I tried to watch it actually recently and it's hard. Yeah. It's hard and it's fucked up. Yeah. But yeah. So, so I haven't watched a lot of these. So tell me what I love about it is it, 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 it Georgia, have you ever been blown away by the most simple dish at a restaurant, like perfectly scrambled eggs? Oh my God, yes, Karen. And then all I want to do is make that dish at home and eat it every day. Well, you probably could, as long as you have the chef's secret ingredient, 
Made In Cookware. Made In was created to bring restaurant quality performance kitchenware to home chefs around the world. For years, they've built their business by supplying restaurants and top chefs with high-end cookware. Some of Tom Colicchio's most treasured dishes at his restaurant craft are made in Made In. Whether you're cooking for professional critics or just the critics you live with, your meals will benefit from the quality of Made In products. Like their carbon steel cookware, it combines the best of both cast iron and stainless steel clad, so it's it's rugged enough for grills or an open flame. It's the MVP of summer cookouts and cook-ins. What I really love about made-in cookware is that it actually makes something like having a Memorial Day barbecue much more convenient because you can keep everything on the grill if you need to throw, say, a pan of garlic up on the top while you're grilling your steaks on the bottom. It's strong enough, durable enough to do that. If you want to take your cooking to the next level, remember what so many great dishes have in common. They're all made in, made in. Save up to 25% this Memorial Day from May 18th through May 27th when you visit madeincookware.com. That's M-A-D-E-I-N cookware.com. Goodbye. There's something about the sound of an old-timey cash register that really takes me back. I know. It sounds like someone is about to hand me an ice cream cone, but it also sounds like we just sold some merch. That's right. And if you're a Shopify user like us, you know that this sound means you just made a sale. Shopify has helped millions of businesses sell their products online, but did you know they also offer the same support for brick and mortar stores? From accepting payments to managing inventory, they have everything you need to sell in person. So give your point of sale system a serious upgrade with Shopify. Shopify POS tracks sales across all your locations. That way you'll always know what you have in stock and where. They also provide reliable tech that fits your unique retail needs, like turning a tablet into a credit card reader. And if you're looking to reach new customers, check out Shopify's marketing tools. They're easy to use and they integrate with all social media platforms. With Shopify, we have a powerful partner for managing our sales. And if you're a business owner, you can too. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period today at shopify.com slash murder. And here's the important note, that promo code is all lowercase. So go to shopify.com slash murder and take your retail business to the next level. That's shopify.com slash murder. Again, don't forget the code is all lowercase. Goodbye. Electrifies me with people sitting there telling this thing that we only Talk talk about third, fifth hands, yeah. you know, so far away, so distant. Because from we the don't experience. have the we don't have the explanation of the victim because they're dead in most cases. Yeah, and these are people who got through it and turned around yeah. and were like, "This happened to me. It's not my fault. I'm not I a got victim. through it. I'm yeah. not. I, you know, I'm like, here's what I did after. Yeah, and it's amazing. And they're eighty percent women. It's and the women who are on it. I would say 80% were raped in some way mm-hmm. and left for dead in some way. Mm-hmm. And then there's just some man who was like, well, I took my tractor out. Well, there was one real, the one I watched, the only episode I watched, there was a guy who was, um, in Haiti after. Yes. And there was an earthquake and he was trapped in the hotel elevator that fell upon him for like 80 something hours. Yeah. And it was incredible. Yeah. But. Other, and you know, he was there to fucking help people. So it's not like he was like, I hiked into the forest. And- no. <laughs> and look, their survival yeah. stories are important Great. too, but it's, it's interesting to watch. If you're interested, watch it because yeah. you'll see the difference of somebody that's like, he held a knife to my throat. It's, it's like they should make two shows. And one of them is these stories of getting lost and, you know, being on your boat or whatever and, and earthquakes. And the other should be, it's like kind of paying tribute to, 
to women who have and men who have been attacked and right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, they can do what they want. Yeah. As you long as they keep doing it. So I have right. these things to rely upon. Not to talk down. Like, <laughs> yeah. Look, hey, listen. Okay. So this is what's m- amazing about this is it's uh, season two, episode 10 of I Survived. Um, it's the same episode mm. as our friend Sarah Brady, who was pregnant, nine months <gasps> pregnant, and who got attacked by the f- fake pregnant girls. This Spoiler. was like the best episode you've ever seen. The best episode, my favorite, my favorite girl. Well, this woman is on the same episode as her. That's insane. I was thrilled. Great. It was like a star sighting for me. Okay. <laughs> so this is, um, <laughs> this is Ellen Halbert's story. Okay. Okay. This takes place outside of Austin, Texas, in uh, an affluent area, I guess, in the hills in 1986, September of 1986. So um, Ellen Halbert uh, is in her 40s. She's a wife and mother. She's having a run-of-the-mill morning. She's uh, reading the paper. She's drinking her coffee in peace and quiet. Her husband is out for the day golfing, and her son is at school mm-hmm. all day. Um, so... You know, she eventually decides to go upstairs and take a shower to get ready for her day. Uh, she goes, she takes a shower, and when she gets out of the shower, she grabs a towel, wraps it around her. She's walking over to the closet to get a robe when she notices something in the corner. Oh, no, no, no. And what's in the corner is a five foot eleven man mm. standing, holding... The, she says the largest knife she's uh, ever seen up above his head, <gasps> dressed like a ninja. No, can you f- fucking <laughs> like you'd be like this. My brain isn't working. She said she laughed out loud because she couldn't the figure absurdity. out. She said she thought it was a joke. Couldn't figure out what was happening. I have chills right now. Yes. It's like seeing a ghost. Yes. But like. And also it's that thing where, you know, sometimes I get, I, I have like those weird floaters in my eyes where everyone's while I'm like, is that a cat? Mm-hmm. Like I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> you're having a seizure, Karen. <laughs> cat seizure, which is like some weird thing passes in your eyeline or whatever. Yeah, definitely. You don't turn your head no. and expect to see a, a huge cat standing there or what? I mean, but <laughs> the that's full the body. Yeah. You expect to see like, Oh, weird. I might have. She didn't expect anything. No. She didn't even see anything out of the corner eye. She's just getting out of the shower regular day. Fuck. Okay. okay. Horrifying. Everyone so. is just gasping in their cars right now. <laughs> also, his in this ninja outfit, if you're not familiar, oh, you uh, every part of his body was covered. It was black pants, black. Uh, shirt head wrap so that only his eyes are exposed. It's like a karate uniform plus a head. (laughs) It's karate plus. Right. Uh, He's also wearing gloves. So it's just eyes and a knife basically in the corner of her bathroom. Okay. Uh, He screams, get on the floor uh, and comes at her and they start to, as she says in the episode, tussle, which is the cutest and also reminds me of the movie Out of Sight with J Lo and George Clooney. Oh, that scene in the bathroom. <clears throat> um, those guys. Um, anyhow, uh, so he pushes her into the bedroom and he backhands her and knocks her onto the ground. Um, she gets up. He does it again. Uh, she gets up again and sits on the edge of the bed. And because she's, she says she, she's basically naked except for this towel. She pulls her knees up. Uh, 
to her chest to like try to get covered in mm-hmm. as small as she can. And he walks over and drags the knife across her feet. And he says, I just want you to know that my knives are much sharper than yours. Oh my God. Did he cut her feet or just kind of was like threatening her? It says, she said dragged, dragged across. It, so we don't know. So I would think, I think she'd say cut. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, you're right. <clears throat> he tells her to look down and close her eyes and not to look at him. And then she does it. He takes his ninja mask off his face and wraps it around her head as a blindfold. Um, and then he says, it's a shame. You can't see me. I'm half black and half white. And I'm a very handsome man. Mm. Uh, what a weird power move. Yeah, for sure. Um, he starts asking her how much money she has. She offers to drive him to the bank. She says she'll give you, a, she'll give him everything she has in the bank. Um, you know, she's bargaining, obviously. She says, let me write you a check. I'll give you everything mm-hmm. I have. <clears throat> he says to her, you're going to have a bad accident, lady. Uh, oh my he, God. Yeah. He holds the knife to her throat. He binds her ankles and her hands behind her back. Um, and Can I just he, also say that if someone either lets you see them, when they're attacking you or says to you what they look like, then I would be like, oh shit, I'm not getting away from this to identify him. That's right. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's very realistic fear. Um, so he starts to explain to her what his deal is and basically says that he's been hiding in her attic for two days. So he knows that the husband is golfing all day. No. And he knows that the son has gone all day. He knows no one's coming for her. He knows he's not going to get interrupted. And then he says, I'm going to rape you. Uh, she begs for mercy as a Christian woman. He says it doesn't matter uh, what he does to her because no one's ever going to catch him. Um, so he says, get back on the bed and... Then he rapes her. And when he's done, he goes and takes a shower and he puts his ninja suit back on. No. Um, so she now is so scared that he's going to kill her. She doesn't try to move. She doesn't try to escape. He cuts her hands apart. He pulls off the blindfold. He shows her a check that he's taken out of her purse that he's written out to the amount of $600. And then he tells her to write his name on the check, Troy Eugene Wigley. He gave her... Her, his full his name. Full name. To write on the check. What the fuck? So she writes it. Then he says to lay on the floor in the bathroom in the fetal position. And she does it. And she says she feels the right side of her head explode. And what's happened is he's hit her in the head with a hammer. <laughs> oh, no. Hammer is always my nightmare. It's so gross. Oh, um, my God. She feels her head explode. Yeah. It's so descriptive. And she doesn't know what's going on, obviously. Like, that's that thing on that show that freaks me out all the time. Yeah. People get shot in the head and they're sitting there telling their story completely regular, like it was you or I, and they've been shot in the head. Yeah. And when they describe it, it's that thing where, because you don't know what happened. Right. It's like, all of a sudden, there was a weird sound in my ear. Like, the way, the the personal experience, that's why I'm obsessed with that show. Yeah. It's the personal experience of it. I don't think I really understand, and that's probably what the show is, too, is like, I don't comprehend being blindfolded and how specifically scary that must be. Like, I don't <sighs> think about that part, you know, where it's yes. like, you actually are not aware of anything in your life going on and all you have are your thoughts. Right. You don't that's get exactly to right. experience it. I, I don't think about that. You know, like, yeah, that sounds, I need to, I need to put myself in that position and think about it. 
Or you don't have to. Yeah, that's true. You don't have to. Okay. I mean, <laughs> you don't have to. Okay. All right. I feel so <laughs> obligated to put my, my, myself in these victims' shoes so I can. Well, that's good. I mean, it's about empathy. Yeah. Uh, but it just, to me, it's also just medically fascinating. Like you would think if somebody got hit, if you got hit in the head with a hammer intentionally, you're not going to survive that. No. And people do. People yeah. survive all kinds of shit. Yeah. It's fucking crazy. Okay, so then he stabs her in the left breast. Oh, no. So then he hits her in the head again, stabs her twice in the back of the neck. This oh, gets, my God. It's going to get worse. Okay. Uh, don't worry. It, it gets, gets worse. worse. <laughs> uh, then he tries to... Oh, wait. So you're, you stop sipping coffee. Because I'm going to spit everywhere. He tries to stab her in the skull. But the knife won't go in. I can't. So he hammers the knife I, into her. Oh! All right. I can't do this. It's. I also think that Vince is in the other room listening to this song. <laughs> and he's horrified by. There's no way he doesn't have the earbuds in. Because yeah, Vince oh, doesn't true. like true crime. That's true. You're right. He's got those headphones in. But this is the thing about. And I, I won't say it again. This is the 19th time I've said it. It's her telling the story. I know. I She's know. She's the one going, then he hammered the knife into my skull. I so know. there's that part of it where it's a person who went through this and came out the other side. Came out. Can't, okay. okay. Oh, okay. Jesus. Then he, one last thing. Okay. He, I'm here. I'm he tries to pull the knife out. It won't come out. So he's shaking no, her no. head around. Your hand movement just now. Okay. He's, he's trying to get it out. He eventually puts his foot on her head to pull the knife out. She can, she feels all this, but then she starts to go out of consciousness. Honestly, I'm, I'm kind of getting a little woozy right now. Really? Like I'm sweating a little. And yeah, this is bad. This is a bad one. Uh, so she's going in and out of consciousness. She doesn't know where he is. She looks into the bedroom and he's standing there with the, and he doesn't have the ninja outfit on anymore. And he screams, put your head back down. Um, so she stops moving. She's like, he, and he comes and he pulls her wedding rings off. So she's like, oh, he's going to kill me for yeah. sure. She's freezing cold. She's lost so much blood, but she knows he's going to kill me. So she has to do something. So, uh, he walks away. Once he pulls those rings off, he leaves and she doesn't know where he is, but she decides she has to, this whole time she's been in the bathroom. Yeah. Um, she's like, I have to get out of here. So she, pulls herself along the ground out of the bathroom through the bedroom and pushes herself down a flight of stairs wow. to get downstairs to the phone. Oh my God. And she gets to the phone. She, the, what drove me insane when I watched this for the first time, she called her parents. No, but I don't know if it's because it was 1986. Yeah. So maybe the 911 system wasn't in place maybe entirely. Was, yeah. Maybe it was like so rural or maybe her brain just wasn't functioning correctly. Yeah. And the only phone number that could come to her was her, her family's <sighs> like childhood home. That would make number. perfect sense. I remember mine still. Uh, Get the area code too. Shit. <laughs> well, whoever call someone. No, don't call that. Uh, can you bleep out part of that Stephen? <laughs> We're so proud to know our own. I phone know numbers. that we give out our social security number. Um. Okay. So. Yeah. Basically, she goes out of consciousness for a little while. The next time she remembers anything, she heard her father screaming. He he came in with the EMTs, so they all found her kind of together. They load her up, and she hears two EMTs talking over her about how she's not going to make it. 
Oh my And that's God. in her head. She's like, I am too going to make it. She, that's when she like turned. Fuck yeah, girl. It's so awesome. And she's just basically like, this man is not going to take my life from me. It's not happening. That is amazing. So, uh, they take, get her to the hospital. Um, she has so many stab wounds. Uh, she needs over 600 stitches. Oh my God. Um, I think in the end she ended up, uh, she, he stabbed her over 30 times. Um, he was 18 years old. Troy Wigley was arrested at the bank trying to cash the check that he forced her to write to him. He's convicted of aggravated robbery. He's sentenced to life in prison. Oh, thank God. Yeah. Um, I, do, I looked up his name. I looked up her. I looked up a bunch of stuff to try to find out what that was about. Yeah. Cause it sounds like one of those things where if they didn't have evidence here or there, they were just trying to get him on something that yeah. stuck, blah, blah, blah. But to me, it's so insane if she's been stabbed multiple times. Yeah. Why aggravated robbery is what he actually gets convicted on. Um, right. Cause attempted murder for some reason isn't treated it as murder it's not murder right that's why it's not treated as murder no but that drives me crazy i know but it's not i know i know they have to be two different things i know i mean they just do but so she makes a full recovery it takes her years of pain and hard work she said she spent a lot of time in denial about what happened to her she spent months crying obviously uh who wouldn't um, she had multiple surgeries for all of her, uh, wounds. She developed a lot of stress related illnesses that lasted for years because of the trauma. Her marriage crumbled. She mm. was left without a job or money, mm. but she was determined to come out, um, on the other side stronger. What an amazing woman. So she realizes she has to get help. So she gets counseling, um, and she joins a victim support group. Amazing. And, she decides that her first goal that she has to set goals for herself so she can recover. Like she has to make it Mm -hmm. a step-by-step process. So her first goal is she's going to release all the rage and anger that she has about what happened to her. Um, cause she, uh, realized that's, that's how she's going to get better for herself. Um, and then she starts to speak out for victims' rights and what yes. needs to change in what are, what is, what she calls our offender focused criminal justice system. In 1991, she's uh, appointed, um, by then Governor Ann Richards to serve on the Texas Board of Criminal Justice. And she did it for six years. Holy shit. It was an unpaid position. So while she was there, she started it and it went from part time to full time. Mm-hmm. And she just started doing all kinds of research on the, the Texas criminal justice system, on um, victims rights, on rehabilitation for prisoners, as opposed to just punitive, throw, you know, lock them up and throw away the key. In 1996, both the Texas Corrections Association and the Texas Crime Victim Clearinghouse established awards in her name to recognize her work on behalf of crime victims. Um because of her tireless advocacy for rehabilitation of offenders and her dedication to the victim's rights, in 1995, a 500-bed female substance abuse treatment unit was named after her. Oh, my God. In 1997, she won the National Crime Victim Service Award, the highest federal award for service to victims. In 1999, she was named one of Texas's Women of the Century. Holy shit. And in 2001, she was the mediator uh, for a court TV documentary called Meeting with a Killer, One Family's <gasps> Journey, which was nominated for an Emmy in 2002. How have I not watched that? <clears throat> 
uh, court TV. Maybe it's just old. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and Ellen Halbert is presently, well, presently at the time of the article that I was reading, uh-huh. so it might not be right now, but she is, uh, the director of the victim witness division at the district attorney's office in Travis County, Texas. What an amazing human being. Isn't that fucking nuts? That I, yeah, I'm trying to focus on that part instead of the other parts. Cause I feel, yeah, I think that's the point. I feel nauseous, like in a whole, like, Cause it's so funny how when it's a survivor, I feel like we've, well, I think we're both in the mindset that like, don't get too disgusting and graphic when it's someone who's died. But when it's a survivor, you can explain everything that happened because they survived that. Well, and cause it's her story. Right. So it's the way she tells right. it. And she wants so it told I that way. Tell it the way she tells totally, it. Totally. Totally. Yeah. That's how she wants it to be told. Yeah. So yeah, that that's insane and amazing. And what a fucking inspiration and, badass motherfucker yeah she's rad yeah wow that was incredible uh mine isn't so good great mine is not so positive all right i'm not gonna tell you the name of it because you're gonna fuck oops you're gonna know it pretty quickly and uh yeah june 12th 1977 nearly 140 girl scouts arrived at camp scott here we go. Amazing. The Oklahoma Girl Scout murders. Oh, this is so fucking awful. Yeah. And there's a lot of stuff I didn't know about it. I think I've kind of known the murder part, but didn't know what came after it. So um, they arrive at Camp Scott, a sprawling, heavily wooded property southeast of Locust Grove in northeast Oklahoma. And the Girl Scouts had been coming to this spot every summer for 50 years. Three months before camp was supposed to start. What? Just sorry, that idea. 50 years of historical nine to 11 year olds in the woods. Yeah. It just immediately made me go like, there's somebody that knew they came back every year. There's somebody that like yeah. knew the <clears throat> knew they would be there at that time. Yeah. Did I, and I went to Girl Scout camp in a situation incredible, like probably exactly the same setup as this story in this camp. So I can picture exactly what happened. Sorry, I just remembered. When I was doing, remember when I did that um, casino gig? Why do I always remember lyrics to songs, Karen, that I haven't heard for years, but I always forget my email passwords? I know, right? It's like our brains only want us to retain useless information, but with 1Password, that problem solved. 1Password is an award-winning password manager that's trusted by families and large-scale companies alike. If you're tired of being the person that everyone texts for a streaming login, hand that honor to 1Password. They let you share logins with people and with groups. With 1Password, you can securely switch between any device type or operating system. That means if you're a family or business that uses both Mac and PC, you won't have trouble sharing your private data. Don't let the name fool you. 1Password does more than just store passwords. It can autofill usernames, payment details, and personal information. And they notify you about potential data breaches. For business operations, 1Password has a dedicated support team that will integrate its security tools into your existing workflow. 1Password saves everyone time. And we all know that time saved equals money saved. 
saved. Your accounting department will thank you. Don't just listen to us. 1Password was named Wirecutter's best password manager. And companies like Salesforce and IBM trust 1Password to secure their most sensitive information. So you can too. Right now, our listeners get a free two-week trial at 1Password.com slash MFM. That's two free weeks at 1, as in the number 1, Password.com slash MFM. 1Password.com slash MFM. Goodbye. Julian McCullough, mm-hmm. it, it, it was in Oklahoma. Oh, yeah. The woman who who was the booker for that casino, which was the best gig. It was so much fun. And I'm so sorry. I can't remember your name off the top. Yeah. I uh, will get it eventually. Um, drove me by the street you turned down to get to this girl's no. gas camp, which is now closed, Abandoned. I believe. Yeah. yeah. Or maybe they turned it into something else. But we drove all around where she was like, you want me to show it to you? And I was like, yes, I do want you to show it to me. But we couldn't. It was like too far. She was like, it's basically over there. Yeah. Because it's the middle of, you know, big flat. I think there's like a long walkway. I think that's called Cookie Lane. Three months before camp was to s- start. I think they're having like um, all the counselors come and learn what they're going to be doing. April 1977, a counselor at Camp Scott had found that her tent had been ransacked and her donuts were stolen. And in the donut box, in the empty box, was a note warning that three girls would be murdered at the camp in the future. No. Yeah. I feel like I'd never heard that before. Yeah. Um, everyone wrote it off as a prank. Yeah. Until. So June 12th, 1977, first official night of the two week stay at Camp Scott. Um, the night is a big thunderstorm, so they don't have their usual activities. Everyone kind of just hunkers down into their tents. So they had like, it was like the, the canvas tent material, but the, but like a wood floor. Yeah. Um, that's actually when I went to camp, that's what the tents yeah, were like. Yeah. We, the ca- they the call them cabins. cabins right. right. That when I went to Girl Scout camp, it was like that too. Um, and you're like shitty cot bed and stuff. Yeah. With your itchy fucking, uh, what's it called? Sleeping, Sleeping bag. bag. Yeah. It's all very uncomfortable. Like it's fun at first. And then you're yeah. like, I, my bed is way better. Yeah. And taking a shower, you're only allowed 30 second showers. And it sucks. <laughs> Wait, what? Yeah. I think that there, there was probably a drought at the time. And so they timed the showers and they literally shut off. 30 seconds. It must have been like 45 seconds or something like Basically that. Still. Yeah. Jesus. They're like, we're teaching you how to conserve water, but it's teaching like, you how to be dirty. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I hated it. Uh, so they hunker down for the night. It has no lights in any of the cabins. They just have flashlights. So tent eight is known as Kiowa. And in that tent, usually it was four girls to attend. No counselor, counselors in any of the tents. Um, the three friends are Lori Lee Farmer. She's eight. Doris Denise Milner, who's 10, and Michelle Gousset, who's nine. They're all from Broken Arrow, Oklahoma, which is a, t- a suburb of Tulsa. Um, and Kiowa, th- their cabin, was located the furthest from the camp counselor's tents. It's about 86 yards away. And it's partially obscured by the shower for the camp. So it was like the most remote cabin. And 86 yards is like almost a football field. Is it? I didn't know. I was a football ask. field's 100 yards. Yeah. So it's like, I, that's so far away. It might be feet. I, I heard, it was one of those things where like in different articles, I read different things. Oh, okay. So it might be Yeah, feet. yeah. That happens all the time where you're yeah. reading this exact same information. But yeah. that happens all the time where it's like, is this person's name Jerry or James? Right. But it just changes per article. Or someone okay. in Reddit is like, this is wrong. And you're like. But I wouldn't be 
you know, those, the way those things are like set up to make them more like in nature. And 86 feet is still a long way off from responsible. Not even for nine and 10 year old, but there's probably 16 year old girls who are counselors. So it's, and you can see like the, they have a layout online to show exactly where it is. And it's absolutely on its own. So, okay. So that night it said, there's a, a book called in the camps called the camp Scott murders by CS Kelly. He says that two counselors had been frightened by two men at the camp that night. And some campers said they saw a man in army boots behind a tent. This there's so much pre shit at one thirty in the morning. Someone hears moaning out near camp Kiowa. Everyone's in their tent. Carla, a camp counselor, she checks out the noise and described it as a low guttural moaning, but it would stop whenever her flashlight came near. Ugh. Also around 2 a.m., the tent flap of tent seven is opened. Three of the girls inside are sleeping, but the fourth girl stated that she noticed a beam of light moving around the interior from outside with a silhouette of a large figure behind it. Oh, and then she says the figure moved off, moved off toward uh, tent number eight, which is uh, Kiowa. Nora just came back Ugh. from camp. Your nine-year-old niece? Ten. Ten-year-old niece. I mean, this it, is this is... This is rough. Can you imagine? Okay. Well, well, imagine getting this call of your sister getting this call. Don't imagine it, but no, I imagine things like that all the time. Yeah, I know. It's so hard. Not That's to. like the, isn't that just the standard thing of like, Oh yeah. There for a while. I told you that for a while yeah. I couldn't stop doing it. I finally had to call my sister and I was like, I can't, I just can't stop imagining something. But and my sister goes, Oh yeah, I do that all the time. Yeah. I do it all the time. And I was like, oh, okay. That's She's just, just like, too bad. That's yeah. how it is. Yep. That's when you love a child. That's what happens. That's what, that's part of it. I get it. So, all right. Moaning sounds are heard throughout the night, throughout the camp. And at around 3 a.m., a girl in the Cherokee section across the woods heard a scream coming from the de- direction of the Kiowa ca- cabin eight. Um, and here it says it was located about two city blocks away. And she heard moaning. A girl in another cabin also heard a scream and the scream, the cries, she said, sounded like mama, mama, someone yelling mama, mama. Mm -mm. I know. Mm -mm. The next morning, 6 a.m., June 13th, a camp counselor's on her way to the showers and she stumbles upon a horrific scene at tent near tent eight. How old? She's probably six. It's a camp counselor. Oh, a camp. Yeah. Sorry. I didn't hear. Um, so the night before, somewhere between two and four in the morning, someone had cut his way into the tent. Here it gets horrible. Yeah. He bludgeons and rapes Lori and Michelle. Um, they had been struck and killed in the tent while they were sleeping and they had been bound and uh, and then they bound, or the person bound and gagged Doris and took her outside, raped and strangled her as well. So then the two girls who are in the tent are like stuffed into the bottom of their sleeping bags. Um, and their sleeping bags are pulled to, to where Doris is on a path about 150 feet away from the tent. So all three girls are left together on like a trail. Um, Goose and farmer sleeping bags had blood, their bodies and were inside. They had bloody bed sheets that had been used. The killer tried to wipe down the blood that was on the floor of the cabin, which is so weird. Um, and they also found a roll of black duct tape and a flashlight the murderer had discarded. 
I was so thinking it, like, was his blood in that blood and that's why he was trying to clean it up? Who knows? Yeah. Yeah, there was bloody bed sheets. Um, it seemed like after the attacks, he tried to cover his tracks. Yeah. Which almost seems like he was panicking. Well, and also then, hey, don't leave your flashlight. Yeah. Shit. It sounds like he was panicking. Maybe can't realize what he had done. Tried to fix it, you know? Um, okay. So four days later, so the police come, they, you know, they fuck, they clean up the scene. And four days later, you know, there, this is insane manhunt that starts like the biggest manhunt in Oklahoma history. Four days later, police find sunglasses belonging to a Camp Scott counselor and a boot print print that matched the one found at the scene of a crime in some in a cave near the camp. Mm. So they find that and they also find a message written on the wall in one of the caves that says the killer was here. Bye bye fools. And then the date um, six seventeen seventy seven. They also find tape, plastic bags, plastic from a garbage bag, similar to that wrapped around the flashlight found next to the girls and a newspaper from the same edition as the piece discovered um, in the flashlight left next to the girls. And they also find two photos. They find two photos of women. The photos are determined to be from the wedding of a prison guard and they're traced back to a man named Gene Leroy Hart, who had been working at the photo lab in Granite Reformatory and had developed the photos of the wedding of the prison guard when he was serving time for kidnapping and first degree rape convictions in 1966. So okay. he had these photos of these women, some, for some reason left them behind, and they were able to trace them back to him. Okay. But they, so that means he developed these pictures because it was his job at the, at the prison. Yeah. But those pictures were never given to the prison guard. He probably made, make copies of them for himself. Maybe there were two pretty women and he wanted to keep the photos of women. But it's not, the prison guard is in the clear. Yeah. It's not the prison guard. Yeah. So we'll talk about Gene Leroy Hart. He's a 34 year old Cherokee Native American. He's five foot 10, weighs about 200 pounds. He's pretty built. He's like a thick dude. He's got black hair, brown eyes. He's born and raised in Locust Grove, which is right next to the camp. Um, he was a high school football star. He was supposed to, he was bright and popular. Uh, one of his teachers said he was just wasn't the kind of kid you would have thought would have turned out bad. Um, but he was an immediate suspect at the time of the murders. He was on the run from police because he had escaped jail in 1973. Um, he was 22 when he was arrested and accused of abducting two pregnant women from a Tulsa club, raping one of them. And he pleaded guilty and was sentenced to three concurrent 10 year prison terms which is 10 years as we know three concurrent 10 year terms is 10 years not 10 years years. exactly which is absurd he's paroled after for raping and kidnapping two pregnant women he's paroled after 28 months Hmm. Mm mm-hmm He's arrested again in 1969. This time he's charged with four counts of first degree burglary. Pleads not guilty. He's found guilty. And for this, this and his past crimes, then he's finally sentenced to a maximum of 305 years in prison. Jesus. So, you know, that judge probably was like aghast that he got out so quickly for rape and kind of threw the book at him. Maybe. I'm guessing. Maybe. The only problem is that if he was set up for the first one, then his... I don't think that's the only problem. 
Well, I know you don't think he was. Well, he he pled guilty to that. I know. Lots of people do I that. I know, I know. <clears throat> um, so he had grown up a half a mile north of Camp Scott. And there were other suspects including a convicted rapist named Bill Stevens. The couple who knew a couple who knew Stevens said he borrowed a flashlight that matched the description of the one used left in the crime scene um, a few days before the murder. And he showed up with what looked like blood on his boots. He told them he had experienced car trouble in Locust Grove. He denied everything. He said he hadn't been in the area and a, but a scout at the camp testified that she had seen a man who looked like him at the camp. But they still focused on Hart. The manhunt would go down as the largest in state history. It took an entire year to catch him. He was just cave to cave, house to house, um, on the run. So they found him in April 1978. He'd been hiding out in the area. Um, and each cave uh, re- released, they each cave had clues and evidence related to the Girl Scout murders. Mm. So they, con- you know, confirming to police that he was their man. They also ha- they found a mirror and a toy pipe, which another camp counselor testified had been taken from her tent. He went to trial for the murders and faced three counts of first degree murder. He was acquitted after just five hours of deliberation. So this whole community of people and so many people in the community rallied behind him and thought it was a setup that these the evidence had been planted, that he was a good you know, a good kid, the, of course, Cherokee Indians, not of course, but they backed, they didn't, they didn't come out as saying they thought he hadn't done it, but they said they were giving him money for his defense, um, to support him because as an American and, uh, Native American, he, they didn't think he would get a fair trial unless he had the money to represent himself, which obviously is true, but they said specifically, this isn't, we're not saying we think he's innocent or guilty. They just wanted him to have a fair trial. Exactly. Right. So, um, because probably in that area, right. the go-to thing is if something happens, why don't you go look on the reservation? Why don't you go look right. at a, Nat- a Native American? Exactly. Yeah. Um, and all the other suspects that they had and that are still around were white. So they just went out. It seemed like they went after him. Yeah. But he was acquitted. Everyone in the courtroom cheered, which if you read articles, the, the three families of the three killed girls were just so devastated when people were cheering that he got off. Of course. You know? Um, and the jurors ended up saying there were too many loose ends. Too many things didn't add up. One juror said, none of us knew whether he did it or didn't. We were shocked that they didn't have more evidence than what they had. So they just couldn't convict him. But because of his previous jailbreak and his earlier crimes, he was taken to prison to serve the remaining 300 years of his previous rape and burglary convictions. So he's taken to prison anyways. Um, Three weeks later, in 1979, at 35 years old, while jogging in the prison yard, he dies of a heart attack. Uh, uh, some people think he didn't do it or, or that he didn't act alone. There's physical evidence left behind in the crime scene, um, that was recovered during the autopsy that indicates that two offenders were involved in the crime, including two different knots being used to tie up the girls, which I think is obvious, always kind of a weird sign, right? Mm-hmm. And the girls were separated and died in different manners. Um, evidence presented at Hart's trial 
that was used to rule him out included a footprint in the blood of the floor of the cabin that is a size 10. Hart's feet were closer to an 11 and a half. There's also a fingerprint on the flashlight found at the scene that wasn't Hart's, which I don't think is that weird. You know, it's not like one person would have held that flashlight, period. You know, there could have been a lot in of the life of the flashlight. Right. Yeah, exactly. Right. Um, then a bunch of DNS, DNA tests have been done on biological evidence from the crime scene since the murders throughout the years. There's been nothing conclusive that has come, although in 1989, um, so of five aspects of DNA tested from the scene, three matched some bodily fluids that were taken from Hart. Only one in 7,700 American Indians would match the samples of that fluid. But because there were only three instead of five matched, their results were officially deemed inconclusive. But an analysis of sperm samples showed that only 0.002% of the population met the characteristics contained in the evidence and heart was included in this. Wow. Yeah. So that's those numbers are way huger than one in 77,000 or whatever. And if they had that technology in 1979, maybe he would have been that would have been enough evidence for the jury. Mm -hmm. They kind of went on all circumstantial evidence because they had to because that's all they had. Right. Which, you know, it's almost like if they could have waited to have, you know, a lot of times they'll wait to have more evidence to bring them to trial. I don't know. Yeah, but you can't wait years. Yeah, but he's in prison anyways. Yeah, but it's a speedy trial, no matter what. That's true. And the families wants justice. Yeah, you can't be like, yeah, we'll cross our fingers that good science is coming. Also, because back then, I think they had no idea the kind of forensics that were going to eventually exist. I mean, sometimes they're like, like in the 80s, I feel like they are finally like, well, this new technology is coming out. A lot of times you hear on like forensic files, let's wait until that technology has you know, every every year, I feel like there's a new way of testing some fluid or some stain that they weren't able to do before to extract a different strain of DNA. I don't know if I sound like I don't know what I'm fucking talking about. But I mean, yeah, sta- pretty standard. Yeah. Not like science. <laughs> I think this that's what we do. We're just right. basically repeating what we watch on Forensic Files right. and other shows that tell us about DNA. Vague postulating. And yeah. you know what's so interesting is in this trial, they used things that are now discounted, like hair samples. They found a hair that they said matched him. Um, there was another thing that they found that they said matched him that now wouldn't be admissible in court. Fi- is it a fiber Probably thing? Probably fibers, yeah, that now would never be admissible in court. Yeah. So... It's, yeah, it's still kind of weird. Um, let's see. Members of Hart's Native American family also accused the police of going after Hart because he's a Native American. Many people said that the sheriff of town was really vindictive because Hart had made him look bad for escaping twice. I just spit. And being on the lamb so long. He was on the lamb for four years. Yeah. Which makes the sheriff looked really stupid. So yeah. he tries to throw the book at him. Wow. Um, and a former prosecutor um tried to turn the killing and Hart's arrest into a position as a state attorney attorney general and to write a book about it. So for oh. monetary gain as well. So that's kind of their proof that he was railroaded. Yeah. So after he died, authority and authorities didn't pursue that many other suspects after the killings of and I want to say their names again because, you know, they're kind of ignored through. So Laura Lee Farmer Doris Denise Milner and Michelle Gousset, um, no other suspects were really pursued or arrested. 
Um, and then all the parents went on to do all this, uh, of course, victims advocacy. They were all, you know, they all are interviewed and, and, and ended up being these incredible people and doing good things afterwards. But when the sister of Lori, when she went back to school, um, after the murder of her sister, two years after, and after he had been acquitted, Hart had been acquitted, she wrote a school, and this is just so sad to me. She wrote a school paper and in it she said, one nation under God, indivisible with liberty and justice for all, except for my family. Oh, no. I know. And that's the story of the Oklahoma Girl Scout murders. Isn't that sad? It's so sad. These little girls. Also, to me, it's just like that crime. This is all I think about. Who knows what really happened? Like the idea that someone hides in caves when they're on the lam is the perfect way to set somebody up to put shit in a cave. Go find a cave. Why would you? This is like Jack the Ripper stuff. Why would you write on the wall? Yeah. If you did this thing, you would cover all your tracks and get the fuck out. Yeah. You wouldn't go writing on the wall. Bye bye, motherfuckers. Yeah. Or whatever. That's so With stupid. With a date. Putting the date. A date and like, yeah. And so. Unless you were taunting the police. Unless you were taunting the police or unless the police were trying to set somebody yeah. up to perfectly match what he'd already done in that kind of making a murderer way, which is like, we don't like you. We don't like your type. We're going to take care of business. Yeah. And we've been trying to find you. Mm-hmm. We don't have any more budget to put into this. But if you're the this guy. child murderer and rapist, then we can put all of our resources into finding you. I, it's the one only of those problem, I was just going to say, the only problem that I, I mean, obviously, the thing that makes me upset about that, then, if that, if that is what they're doing, if their agenda turns from finding the person who did it into getting the person they, that has shamed them or whatever fucking mm-hmm. problem there is, then we still have a person who stabbed three nine-year-old girls with a fucking knife and raped them walking around the world yep that's the problem to me yeah it's so it's one of those cases where i don't know if he's guilty or not but i could argue either way you know that the the evidence was planted in the caves or he was taunting them you know it's either one is plausible and then arguing like i hadn't thought about what you said which is um did he not commit those rapes if he committed those rapes to me it's obvious that he was also capable you know of of this crime. Yeah. And I also, I'm, I'm leaning more towards him having it being more than one person who committed those crimes because of the ropes being different knots because of, yeah, them being separated and, uh, and being murdered in different ways. You know, two of the girls were immediately knocked unconscious and left in the cabin and one wasn't, you know, it's, it's, it's weird. It's all different, like yeah. MOs. Yeah. Yeah. And they, people argue that, um, that, uh, how would, how would one person be able to handle these three girls, which I think is a bullshit argument because two girls were unconscious. But not only that, we know that, that these predators can scare, especially small girls into obeying them or Hell else. Yes. Richard Speck. Yeah. There were, it was eight, I believe off the top of my head, the nurses, eight nurses, yeah. fully grown women who he got to all stay in a room while he took them out one by one, raped and murdered yeah. them. And they can't like the woman who was hiding was just like, you don't understand. It was, yeah. the, it was, he had a gun and he kept being very soothing or whatever. So like that, 
can being able to control people when you are the attacker yeah. is i love when people argue that shit yeah. where it's like what are you fucking talking about we're not sitting those people weren't sitting on a couch drinking coffee yeah. casually they were they said if you scream we're gonna kill your family yes like or we're gonna as simple as that we uh, if you scream i'll shoot your friend yeah. over here that yeah. kind of stuff yeah. i mean that, I hate that argument. Yeah. So that I think you can't really. But other little things like this, different kinds of ropes. It's just. Uh, it just feels like if there's ever a murder that should have been solved. Right. You know, three 10 year old girls at Girl Scout camp. They should have fucking figured out yeah. the best way to figure out who did that. Well, I feel and they're also doing more. They're, they're continuing the DNA testing. So as it does get more advanced, they're trying. The case is still open. Yeah. And they are like sending different kinds of um, like the new swabs they can actually test. They're still doing that. So there still might be an answer one day. Don't you think it's possible now, you know, I'm love to devil's advocate and I love to go like, what is the thing that isn't being thought of or something? Yeah. The idea that he's jogging in jail and dies right. of a heart attack at age 35 yeah. is interesting to me. Well, Not they, that it isn't possible. Right. And there's some people that have congenital heart That's problems. That's what they said. You yeah. know, he's got that runs in his family. He sure. was really out of shape, but 35 definitely. Then, then why is he jogging? Yeah. Oh, he's going to, you're going to, now you're going to get it all together once you're fucking in jail. Yeah. I, you know what? I got it. I'm going to lose this last 20 pounds. That's definitely a good argument. And it's the thing of like, if that DNA does come back to him, which it kind of seems like it did in these other ways, people are going to say, well, it was planted. So I think unless it comes back as someone else doing it, no one's ever going to fully believe that he and conclusively believe that he was the killer. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. But, but then hearing that he got acquitted is just so, if you believe it was him is so heartbreaking. And I think his family, the families all believed it was him. Of course they did. Yeah. They wanted to, but then, but also it's that it makes me think of the Memphis, the West Memphis three. Yeah. When you have the perfect person who did it, mm-hmm. you want it to be over. Yeah. You want it to be over. And you also want to show everyone that, or the, you know, the police force and the FBI was there every, you know, there was a huge manhunt. Uh, for a year, you want to show that you have done your due diligence and you've caught the bad guy. Everyone can stop being afraid. Cause can you imagine your, for a year, this person who has no problem raping and sodomizing a fucking nine-year-old is on the loose. Yeah. In and the neighborhood. Then I, you know, you have to look at all the photos of the three girls are just these sweet baby angel, like young sweethearts. And then I look at the photos of them with their siblings and it's those poor, you know, I feel so bad for the victim, but the siblings too, you know, the rest of their lives must have been so horrifying. Yeah. It's not something you ever get over. Right. Especially then you go and have children and you see your own nine-year-old daughter and, you know, how how can you imagine someone hurting that person? What a fucking monster. Yeah. Yeah. They've got to figure out a way, minority report style. Totally. To figure out who these people are conclusively. Yeah. I feel like that's what I, I, I feel like. Instead of making for-profit prisons, mm-hmm. maybe people, it should be like, can we just actually focus on so that when these people exist in society, we figure out a way to find them and make sure they don't do this to people? Well, yeah, we brain scan them 
And that brain <laughs> scan tells us what they're capable of, what they're lying about, mm-hmm. what even if they're a sociopath, you can still see that like the what neurons fire when they're lying. <laughs> Listen, if they have a memory of this crime, if their brains are see-through, if their like brains those fish from way down deep in the yeah. deepest depths of the ocean, what are their brains made of? Are they made of goldfish crackers? Are they uh, just a ton of tiny knives in there? <laughs> if there are tiny knives, and it's a tiny <sighs> murderer, is there a tiny murderer in the brain controlling it with controls? If there is, let's get rid of those people. Let's put them all on some kind of leper's island. Great. This has been a, a serious waste of time. Thanks, everybody. <laughs> no, it hasn't. Maybe we'll change everything. No, we'll change nothing. Uh, no, there's lots of people working hard to change things, yes, I think, for sure. We hear from people all the time that are like, I'm going to fucking criminology school. Yeah. I'm, I'm a victim's advocate. Yep. All the time. Yeah. It's very cool. Yeah. And I think like that. Yeah. It's that idea that instead of letting politics get in the way. And money. Let's let's catch child murderers. Let's catch adult murderers. Let's like let's catch child murderers before they child murder. But then we're getting into some really addictive. Right. Well, that is what minority minority board is about. Right. Which is like that and great graphics. What's the ethnicity about? And Tom Cruise at his best. Oh, my God. The fucking downhill. You guys who are younger don't remember. But Tom Cruise was a heartthrob. <laughs> you don't remember. It was 2010. <laughs> <laughs> seven years ago, though. Oh, my God. That's seven years ago. Seven years. I know. That's, I know. I mean, it's time goes by. Um, I got to go to work. Okay, that's right. You have to go to work. Oh, my God. How Isn't is it? weird? This is coming out in two hours. Yeah. If Stephen can. Sorry for the delay. I'm, I'm sure we're yes. going to get. I'm sure Stephen's going to get and already has gotten lots of messages. When we were texting yesterday about, is it okay if we do it in the morning? And Stephen's like, yeah, but it's going to be late and people get upset. You know, we should let them know. And then we. And then I said, okay, just tell them it's your fault. <laughs> Steven! David! Tell him you did it. Steven! It's all me. Um, Elvis can't meow on this one. I know. Where's the kitten? So you can hit it in the face. (laughs) No, it's gonna. Where's that kitten? I was gonna make her meow. Listen, I love her. Fucking Dottie. She's an angel baby. Um, Once Elvis is home, we'll. Hold good thoughts in your mind and prayers for Elvis um, for his quick recovery. Yeah. So you can come back and eat cookies and meow with us soon. Um, And until we see you again, stay sexy. And don't get murdered. Bye. Bye.